Okay, and we are back again this week with Matt Wheatley. Thank you so much for coming on. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, We were just talking before we started up about your song, Greenback Kings. Um, It's super funky. It kind of reminds me like that Michael Jackson period in the the late 70s, like off the wall. I like that. Uh, I was going for a little bit of an old school vibe with that, too. Yeah. It, It turned out that, I mean, it's. I'm a huge Bruno Mars fan. Oh, dude. You can clearly hear the influence in that. You know what I mean? I, I make no bones about it in that. You know, even even with kind of the playful lyrics and stuff like that. I love how he does that and plays off every little thing. So I tried to emulate that a little bit, but kind of in my own way. Yeah, Bruno Mars, to me, I think he is the the greatest male pop star we have today, hands down. He's I don't even think talented. it's close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you listened to the... Uh, what is that new band he does? Silk Sonic. Have you listened to that album? Love it. Oh my gosh, dude, it, it is ridiculous. They, I mean, he's like not single handedly, but like there's nobody else doing that. You know what I mean? Like no. that's just such a like retro, but they modernized it song or, or sound. I mean, that's just I don't know anywhere else to get that. And it's it. You see so many people influenced by it now too. I mean, myself included. I love that. I love bringing back that old school feel of like Motown and stuff like that. I love because they were such great performers. Yes, and they they you could hear them performing in their song, and that's what I think Bruno is so amazing at. And even when he does and plays live and stuff like that, and he brings that into his songs, just great performer. Oh, dude, yeah, I'm super influenced by like Motown and Stax records. The players awesome. are ridiculous. They, right. They make it look so easy, too, and they're just, like, running up and down everywhere, and it's, it's fun to see. It's fun to listen to. Yeah. No, and, and the Silk Sonic record in general, um, I just love it. I love that they have that throwback sound, and they're using, like, using actual players. Yeah. Like, on Smoking Out the Window, Homer Steinwise from like Daptone, Amy mm-hmm. Winehouse, all that. He plays drums on that. Right. Which um Anderson Pack is a great drummer in his own right, but it seems like they like Bruno was really focused on turning Anderson into a star with this. I thought that too, could just giving him more of the limelight a little bit. Yeah, because all of their videos and live performances they're all fe- like they're featured like right next to each other and right. shown as equals, right? Which is I think is a big thing when Bruno Mars of all people is like you are my equal. He's willing to step aside, yeah. yeah. Like that's that's quite a compliment. So, w- what is the music that you grew up listening to? Was it Motown and, and stuff like that? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I actually had like. A weird story. My uncle used to take us to like baseball games when we were kids. Love baseball. I'm a huge like, baseball but, fan. Well, we tried to go to a bunch of stadiums and stuff like that. And um, one thing that had a, a really big influence on me as a kid, um, we went to Detroit one year, and we it was back when Cecil Fielder was real big. Oh, yeah. We got to run the bases and all that. It was pretty cool. But he took us to the Motown Hall of Fame, and it was I. I just remember it being in awe of like everything about it. And then I just, you know, had question after question. So we just started listening to more and more of it. Um, so that's where I kind of got a love for that. But I also grew up, I mean, I'm, I'm a Beatles guy. I'll, I'll be first and foremost. I love Paul McCartney. I love listening to what he does. And so you're Lennon. a Paul guy? Yeah, big yeah. time. I'm a Paul guy too. For sure. Well, you have to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of course, bass player. Bass player yeah. yeah, come on, man. Obviously. Well, I think it's funny because it's like, how, how long have you been in Nashville for? 
Just over a year. Oh, wow. Okay. Welcome to town. Just came from LA. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Fun. Big difference, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> huge. Um, but I mean, playing music and being surrounded by musicians, you, there, there's either Paul guys or there's either John guys. I think that there's, there's, you don't see too many splits. No. Like, I love them both, but I, I do love them both. Don't get me wrong. I know. But what you, you know, mean. there's a clear, like, you're that guy or that guy. Well, it's funny because I've found, like, some of my, my really close friends are, are John guys. The one off the top of my head that I can think of is my friend Isaac Shore from the Weird Sisters. Okay. He's a John guy. Okay. Like, he's a John guy. He likes the biting, like, angry wit of, like, when Jar- John Lennon gets dark, basically. Oh, yeah. Which I love it too. I do too. But th- th- I think there's even a personality difference and like a difference in an outlook on the world between John guys and Paul guys. I think there's huge difference in that outlook because Paul is kind of like, he's more the positive guy. You know happy what I mean? He's, yeah, he's very happy. That's the best way to put it probably. I mean, if you watch that Get Back documentary basically and or you watch that McCartney 123, have you seen any of that? No, I haven't seen it. Amazing. Well, absolutely change. I mean, it just makes you realize how crazy good he is. Yeah. I mean, not that you didn't know it already, but like when he sits there and first of all, how does he remember how he wrote a song 60 years ago or something yeah. crazy? You know what I mean? But he's talking with Rick Rubin and you just see that light in him still you know what i mean whenever he's listening to it and he's heard this a million times and he still lights up about it like that's amazing to be able to do that yeah he that but that kind of is what i think draws me to paul a little more just that light that he has yeah no for sure it's it's funny with the beatles too because i fall back in love with them every couple of years I do as well. But it's a different I fall in love with a different phase. Yeah, for sure. So the first phase that I fell in love with was Sgt. Peppers. And then That was it, your first? That was my first oh, one. Oh man, you don't know where to go from that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I went to Revolver and then Rubber Soul. You know, okay. I, I think Rubber Soul is probably my favorite of theirs. That's probably mine as well. Um, I just think it, it's like they were discovering being actual songwriters for the first time. Right. Totally, man. I, I, I get that for sure. I'm um, on the same so, page. So you're going to all these baseball stadiums. You go to the, the Motown Museum. Once that happens, were you already playing instruments? or I wasn't. Um, to tell you the truth, I didn't pick up a guitar until I was a teenager. I was real big into sports, like had sports scholarships and stuff like that. Really? That I could have went on, but once I started music, I was like, well... I'll use sports if I can, but I ended up getting a, some academic scholarships too. And I, I got one close enough to home to where I could still do music. And I had a girlfriend and all that. Oh, yeah. You of know, course. all that fun the stuff. The classic. Right. Yeah. All that. Broke up, you know, three months after I went to college. Oh, all of that. Course. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. That fun story. Yeah. Um, um, so, what was your first instrument then? Was, was it guitar? Guitar was my first instrument. I saw a couple of my friends who were who had started playing. Um, uh, one in particular, his his dad had a band, so I went and saw their them play, and then I saw that he got up and played a couple songs. Next thing I know, he was playing with my other buddy who was drumming now, and I showed up to their practice one day and it was just blown away. I was like, this is what I'm doing. I don't care what I got to do, but I'm getting in this band. I don't, I, 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 did, I had never picked up a guitar before at that point, but I went home, begged my mom for a hundred dollars. Let me get the piece of crap guitar from wherever I was, locked myself in a room for about six months, 
could eke out enough songs to finally like, yeah, I'm in the band. Can I get in the band? <laughs> we were all good friends, so they needed another guitar player anyways. And um, that's that's what started my journey. It was something similar for me. Um, so it was 2004. American Idiot was the album at the time. Mm-hmm. Like Green Day was the biggest band in the world again. Again, yeah. Um, and my buddy Kane Stevenson he started learning how to play guitar and he had this really nice boombox system that his dad got him for his birthday. And he had just like a, a, a shitty Squire Strat. Um, and he played American idiot on it. And he's like, <laughs> you should learn how to play, play guitar. Or I said, I want to learn how to play guitar. He's like, you should learn how to play bass. Ah. So that's how I became a bass player was he said there couldn't be two guitar players in a band, <laughs> which I don't know if he didn't want me to steal his limelight or yeah. he, it was just out of ignorance. Cause he was looking right. at green day. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. The power sure. trio of power trios. That's what happened to me for a couple years too. That's actually why I ended up getting decent at bass and, and falling in love with it a little bit. Cause we ended up having bass player after bass player who kind of fell out of the band for whatever reason. I was like, I guess I'll just play bass. <laughs> and then I just stuck that way. And then we, you know, another guitar player would fill in here and there, but we were pretty good as a three piece for a long time. So what, what tunes were you guys playing back then? Oh man. We started out with like, I mean, I, I came from really the grunge era. So we loved Pearl jam, Deftones, Nirvana, uh, we we played some of the heavier stuff, and then we finally started getting into the the whole emo phase that came through. Oh, so yeah. now we're Copeland, May, Love Drug, all them uh, fans, all them guys, and that kind of changed us into more poppy stuff. Yeah. So like when when I was growing up, all the bands that were were big, it was like. I'm trying to remember. It was like Fall Out Boy. Fall Out Boy was Fall huge. Fall Out Boy got big. Yeah. Um, they were like my. They were my first concert. I and I think it, looking back on it, they were your first concert ever. First concert ever on wow. the Black Dogs and are the Black Clouds and Underdogs tour. Cool. And the whole bill, the like the bill for the show. It's such a snapshot of the time frame because they were the headliners. All American Rejects played. From first to last played, which was the singer was Sonny Moore, aka Skrillex. Wow! Um, and they were like hardcore screamo. <laughs> and then Hawthorne Heights, which you're from Ohio, right? I'm from there. We got to play with them a couple times. Yeah. So yeah. you know Hawthorne Heights. Yeah. And this other band that I feel like has kind of been lost through the channels of time. They were called the Hush Sound. Oh, I remember the Hush. Sound. You remember them? Oh yeah, yeah we liked them a lot. Yeah, because they they had that song, um, yeah, crawling a, towards the sun. That's what it was. I knew and there it's was one. Yeah, fantastic song. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, I think the keyboard player now God, she I ain't heard that forever is uh, cousins with the singer from Vampire Weekend. So I think she's playing keys live oh, for them now. Nice. Yeah, so it's kind of a all little, ends up being some kind of little family together. You yeah. know what I mean? That's what I, that's the other thing I love about music so much. Yeah, it's, it ends up being a small world. Like I'm sure we know people who have played together and you know and stuff Absolutely. like that, which is cool. How long did you live in LA for? So I was in LA. I'm originally from Kentucky. Okay. Um, I moved to LA because I wanted music to be my full time gig. So that's what I did, and that's what it is. Um, but I was in LA for five years. Um, and then we moved here last year, basically during the pandemic, because everything was 
you mean you were in jail in LA? Yeah. They're still just now getting out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it didn't make any sense for us to be there anymore at that point. I think I, a lot of people started feeling that I way. know a ton of friends who were there long before me who, who moved as well. Um, really? Yeah. Just to, it, it, everybody was coming back long before LA was, you know, everybody, the lockdowns with LA and New York, it was just so wild. Like I was standing outside, uh, a Ralph's for an hour and a half waiting down the street just so 10 people could go into the grocery. And then when you go into the grocery, there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was really weird, but it was a blessing in disguise for us because we couldn't be happier to be in Nashville. So yeah, big, big lifestyle change. You know, Nashville's still a big city, but when you compare it to a place like LA or New York, it's not as a uh, expansive. No, correct. And I think that's good in a way because it's, it's not overwhelming. You know what I mean? But this week is CMA Fest, so... I compare that just to driving on the 405 on a Monday. (laughs) Is it bad? (laughs) It's insane. There's never a time in L.A. It is true what they say. Like, the traffic is as bad as they say. I remember being on the 405, going to my the job that I, I still have currently, like, the first week. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? It took me an hour and a half to go eight miles. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, that's, and that was every day. That never changed. But you ju- it's just like with anything else. You get, you get used to it. I found podcasts that I love. Yeah. You know, yeah. drop your name in here. Yeah. <laughs> Podcasts and, and, you know, you, you learn to find time or work on songs. That was another big thing I started to do. Like, I was like I'm just going to work, work on, on songs, songs in the car. I, vo- I had a Bluetooth thing to, like, to my car. Uh-huh. So I'm just working on voice memos. I'm, I'm a melody first guy, so I'll just get something in my head or I'll just start going through my voice memos, like, and working on something, adding to something. So I'm literally writing in traffic. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> um, so you do like the uh, the music for movie trailers? I do. So I'm a songwriter, producer, and composer. Yeah. Composer is kind of what I do during the day. Like um, I just recently had something in Top Gun, the promos for that kind of stuff. Congratulations. Cool. Thanks, man. Top Gun was badass, by the way. I still haven't even seen it Dude. Yet. Yeah. Go see it. <laughs> I'm waiting on the wife to her schedule to clear up. We're, we're going to go see that. That's going to be a good one. It's worth it to go see it in theater. You I've, have heard, to I've see not it. heard a single person who said it wasn't good. No. My, my dad, he was in the Navy for 20 years. He liked it. Yeah. So we went together, and like when we were watching the movie, he would lean over and just like mention something about from when he was in the Navy. It, how realistic it is or yeah. something? Yeah. Yeah. He was. He said the sound design for the film was was really good. Awesome. Like it brought back, he's like, it brought back a lot of memories. Wow. Like a lot of good memories. That's cool. Yeah. That just makes me want to see it even more. I already wanted to see it. I've heard it was good from everybody, so. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I think it's interesting with um, movie trailers because they're really the final step in, like, the sales process for selling a movie. And music, of course, is, like, a big part of that. You have people like Quentin Tarantino where his movies are almost sold on the fact that it has all of these great soundtracks. Oh, yeah. We get specific requests for that sound or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have their own genre at this point. Well, the thing that I, I've noticed the past couple of years that started to uh, to happen, like the trailer for the Batman. So it's like this hybrid mix of Nirvana, but also it's a little bit of an element of scoring, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's a huge thing right now. And in our world, we call it trailerizing. 
you know, that's a the technical song. term. That's yeah. the technical. That's what we get from music supervisors all the, all the time. You know, do you have any trailerizations of so and so or this and that? And that is a super cool one, by yeah. the way. Yeah, that Nirvana one. Um, we actually had a little bit of sound design in that trailer too, which is really cool. yeah, which is cool. Um, dude, that's a huge. That's almost a whole subgenre of itself now. In in trailers, and it's been big for about ten years now, yeah. really, and it just keeps going strong. People, I mean, your experience. I mean, perfect example: the Kate Bush song for the Stranger Things. Yeah, she just hit the top ten for the first time in her career. Yeah, because of Stranger Things that was trailerized, and like that's awesome. It's bringing it's made bringing a new face to old music, which is great. Yeah, no, it's um, it's cool because it's like all these people that were like the weird kids in their high school growing up, they're able to take the music that they like and stick it into <laughs> pop right. culture now. That's right. All us weirdos. Yep. Now we're getting it all in there where y'all didn't like us then. Well, now you're going to hear us now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, for me, like movie soundtracks have always been a, a, a huge influence. Like when I first started getting into music when I was in high school and all of that, Quentin Tarantino, of course, I just mentioned him, yeah. but he was huge. Oh yeah. Just because he, um, he basically has all of these oddities and rarities of pop culture that people forget about. For sure. And he brings them through to his, his movies. And another thing I really love that I got into, um, was Italian film soundtracks from the 60s and 70s. I don't know if you've ever done a deep dive into any of that stuff. I haven't, but you got me interested. Yeah, so a lot of the players, uh, there wasn't many players. It was really this one band called Mark IV that played on everything. Really? Yeah, and they played with Ennio Morricone and just all the great Italian film composers. That's cool. And there's this one genre... um, that's called giallo, which means yellow in Italian. And there used to be these uh, pulp crime novels that were brought over, I think, during World War II. Okay. And they had these yellow covers, like every single one of them, because it was the publisher. But eventually, they're, they're all like murder mystery cool. kind of a thing. And um, But eventually, all the, the guys who grew up reading those... They became film directors, right? And they be, it became giallo, giallo films. But um, the soundtracks for that are great too, because it's all this. Like some of the music is is jazzy, some of it's psychedelic, but it's like uh, a band, this Italian band trying to play like American players. You know what Deep I purple, mean? Purple, yeah. It sounds really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm gonna definitely have to check that out. Yeah, I'd get into that. Yeah. So. Um, what are some projects you're working on currently? Uh, currently, I just finished actually uh, an artist cut from Bree Jackson, a song called Way Back, which is my first country cut, which is cool. Um, she just put that out. Um, I co-wrote that with a couple friends of mine. Um, I'm also working on a solo project, an EP I was kind of telling you about a little bit before. Um, I'm hoping to have out by the end of the year, probably four or five songs. I've got a couple of them finished already, but deciding on how I want to do it exactly. Yeah. You know, singles, EP, who knows at this point how all that game goes. So you said you're a melody first guy. For sure. Is that always how you end up writing or do you ever sit down and like hit a chord and you're like, huh, that makes me feel something. 
for sure that happens. Okay. But I would say 75, 80% of the time, it's literally something just clicked in my head. I'm singing something. I have no idea where it came from, but now I'm putting it in my phone. Do you ever have to double check yourself because you think the melody uh, is, is too good? Like you're like, this has to be from something. There's a rule. If I can't figure it out where it's from, if it sounds so familiar to me and I can't figure it out within a week, I'm okay. Now, it doesn't, that doesn't mean it's not from some, but it means it wasn't from something so familiar. It's not from a Bruno Mars song or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not something so familiar that it's like it's going to be somebody's going to figure that out really quickly. Although it's crazy now because everybody's getting sued left and right, so I get that. It's probably not the best theory to have, but I know, I know a lot of music, so I usually feel like if it's too familiar, I know i got to go somewhere else. Well, it's funny you bring up like everybody getting sued because you really look back everybody was was so hot around the collar about robin thick with blurred lines that recently got reversed too didn't it i didn't know about that i think it did okay yeah so that's news to me but yeah when it originally happened like i liked this song and of course it it's similar to to marvin gay right but it's not a direct Rip. It's not a rip, right? To- totally agree. Um, man, there's only so many notes. Yeah, there's only so many grooves. I, I mean, I thought when I, there's like what 19 songwriters on that Bruno Mars song now, yeah. or whatever that is, you know, uh, what Uptown Funk? Oh yeah, Uptown uh, yeah. Funk. There's, yeah, there's. I mean, if you look that up, there's like a crazy amount of people on that now. It's like everybody's making. Well, they're all making money, but you know what I mean. For it to be split like that, for taking such a little thing, it's like, I hear the influence. It just feels like splitting hairs on a lot of things now. Like, sometimes it's like, if it comes from artists who are like, I wish I had that. For sure. I want my slice. Well, it's something, it's like, when you are a musician, it's because, first and foremost, you're a music fan. Right. First and foremost. Like, I would be so disappointed if, if I wrote something and, you know, some things are just good. Like you were saying, there's only so many notes. Right. I would be so disappointed if, if someone came after me and, like, sued me that I was a huge fan of. You oh, know? man. Wouldn't that, it, it wouldn't that would ruin heart. it. Oh, that would ruin it terribly, man. If, if Bruno Mars came after me for a song, I'd be like, I mean... I hope I sound like you. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's. Uh, I, I, I would very. I would never directly try to rip somebody. Never, yeah. never, never, never. Of course not. But if you think you're not influenced by somebody in anything that you write, you're crazy. You know what I mean? It's got to come from somewhere. Well, music, like it's interesting to, to think about too, because recorded music has only been happening what for how long now? Like, just thinking in terms of pop culture. I mean, in years. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it's still technically in like its infancy. But think about all of the music that happened before recorded music ever happened. Right. Not, I mean, yeah, there's going to be some overlaps. That yeah. just is what it is. And if you look at blues too, it's like those blues guys, you know, they, I'll say it in air quotes, rip each other off all the time. <laughs> Because yeah. they'll like do their version of like Manish Boy, right? But they'll they'll change it slightly, you know. Yeah, and they'll even say that. Yeah, I've, I've seen plenty of blues guys are like, oh, I took this 
love I love this one little thing Chuck Berry did in this one little spot. And I'm like, of course, we all do. Well, it, it brings up another interesting point, too, because you look at Led Zeppelin and kind of the controversies that they have had with that right. um, in their career. And I think uh, Jimmy Page was even quoted as saying, uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal. I've heard that before. Yeah. Which yep. I, I think that's actually, uh, funnily enough, like he stole that, that, that quote from Picasso or someone like that. Oh, was that from <laughs> You got me, but I believe that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like I said, you're going to get your influences are your influences, whether you know you're being influenced by them or not. Yeah. If you figure it out, change it. You know what I mean? Exactly. If you know you're doing it, change it. If you don't know it, it's a subconscious thing. Do it until it stops, you know, until it doesn't feel right. Yeah, for sure. No, I, th- I think there's, there's something to be said, too, for, like, all of those influences coming together and coming out of you. It's the spiritual, unique experience that an individual has with music. It's like their soul or whatever the mystical element is that we can't really explain, like right. the goosebump element. That's a great way to put it, actually. Um, and I think like when all of those things come together, it's because it's all these things that you love that, yeah, there's other people that maybe love it, but they also haven't had the life experience that you've had or the things that you've seen or the things that you, you felt. And there's, of course, a lot of universal feelings because like people, everybody is an individual, but there, there's something so similar about all of us. And I feel like that's what we're forgetting in today's world. You know what I mean? Like for sure we're, we're forgetting to love our neighbor and even love ourselves. Um, I, I tend to be like for myself sometimes like very self-critical of everything that I'm doing. That's what we do as musicians. That's part of our makeup. You you have to though. Yeah. Like you have to, in order to to get good at your craft, you constantly have to be looking at it and you want to be your worst critic. Yes. You know what I mean? 100%. Because then you can take the rest of it. Yes. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's easy. I mean, you come from LA, you know, like you were in that whole world. Oh yeah. Um, Kind of changing the topic a little bit, what are the biggest differences as far as musicians go between L.A. and Nashville that you've noticed? Well, I think that it can honestly be summed up almost in a word, and that is community. What I think is a amazing, amazing thing about Nashville, and especially with musicians in particular, and this is nothing against L.A., that a lot of my L.A. friends and artists and musicians and sure. stuff like that. They're all absolutely wonderful, and I'm not saying they won't help you if you ask and stuff like that, but like, I feel like musicians in Nashville try to purposely lift you up, and I think that's an amazing thing that is very unique to hear. Because, I mean, I, I was in the Cincinnati music scene for 20 years, and there's people who will, in, a, in every scene who will always try to help and sure. try and lift you up. There's people in every scene like that, but this feels more like a community of people who try to do that. As opposed to like one person does it, you almost expect it from people, which is insanely awesome. Not not that you know somebody has to help you do something; they want to. That's pretty cool. I, that's a big difference between you know L.A. feels like everybody's trying to just get ahead of each other a little bit, as opposed to here it's like if you get ahead of me, that's awesome. I can't wait to get up there too, and I'll do whatever it is to help you pull you along too. I love that mentality. Yeah. Why do you think? Nashville is like that. 
I, I mean, country music's a big thing, obviously here. And I think that genre, it's kind of started to rub off on everybody. And they, they I feel like that really came from country music more than anything. Because you always seen the country artists, like even on the CMTs and stuff like that, like really dishing out the limelight to other people as much as they can. Because they work with a lot of those people and stuff like that. And since everybody can collaborate so easily now, I feel like that's kind of started to rub off a little bit towards like, man, it's actually pretty cool when other people lift you up and then you get to kind of return the favor doing the same thing. I hope that is a thing that continues for most like cities and stuff like that. I've seen more and more of that in Cincinnati, even as of late. And in, even in LA, we, they had started a, a great little like songwriter collective. Like, so you're starting to see some of that, but I think it all like spans from here. Like the, the energy goes outward from the country, you know, Nashville is great too, because there's all these different musicians living here and there's multiple overlapping scenes. Oh like, yeah. The, the country scene of course is like the Mickey Mouse Disney World <laughs> right. tourist like that's the thing that people see up front. Right. And then once you start traveling outside of that that outer ring like of course with big artists the Black Keys are here, Jack right. White is here, KG Elephant's here. And then as you start to further go down I mean, there's a really strong blues community in Nashville. Mm-hmm. There's a really strong, of course, bluegrass community in Nashville. There's a little bit of a hip-hop scene here. Right. Um, so it's a little bit really of everything. And, like, I play mainly over in East Nashville, which is kind of a catch-all, you know, for the, the indie rock un- umbrella. But really, that's, like, funk, soul, R&B. It's, right. anybody, it's basically music where they're playing their own instruments But that's now. huge, too, though. Like, the whole indie scene, like, that's actually a really big, quote-unquote, underground thing here, too. Yeah. That I've noticed. And, I mean, I keep running into more and more people where I'm thinking they're going to be country. And they're like, no, I just do, like, indie rock and stuff like that. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I do. Awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. Um, when I first moved here, I moved here not knowing anyone. Anyone. Zero. And I got a job at this place uh, that shall remain nameless, but it's actually a big company from from Cincinnati, a logistics company. Oh, okay. So, so maybe you know who I'm talking about. I don't I'll, know. I'll mention maybe, it after maybe the I show. worked for him. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I started uh, at this place, and I met this guy there who was a um, like a blues keyboard player. His name was Dale. And he knew I was a musician. He was always talking to me about music because I could tell, like, I always felt that every normal job I worked, like I was a square peg in a round hole. (laughs) Um, And you can always spot another musician when you're in a normal setting. For sure. Um, So he came right to me. Um, He was also significantly older than everybody else, which was kind of funny because everybody (laughs) else was like average age was probably 23, 24. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he told me about this blues jam that happened at this place, uh, called the, the country, which is now the local and okay. it happened every Tuesday night. My friend Kara Lippman ran this jam. This was before I was friends with Kara, but, um, I go there. All the players are like hot players, like the real deal, the like real shit deal. your yeah. pants when you hear them. Like, so wow. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, 
So I go there and there's this list you have to sign up with and Kara kind of grills you a little bit before you go up to play. And she's like, are you a musician? Weed me out a little. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Can you play? And uh, like when someone asks me that, I'm just like, uh, uh, yeah, I guess. The answer is yes to the first one. It better be yes to the second one. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I go up, you know, I do okay. Sure. But, um. I was able to hang with good players. That's a good feeling. Yeah. So I think that's really what she was looking for because there was times at that jam where new people would come and I'd see them get pulled off a stage. Get lost. Oh, yeah, man. You get you get guys who are up there running circles around you. It's real obvious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing that too. Uh, especially when you're a bass player. And don't get me wrong. There was plenty of times where I just crashed and burned at this jam. It's all about knowing where to jump back in, though. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's a skill I've come to learn. Yeah, because then it sounds intentional when you're not playing. Oh, you know? Right. <laughs> and with bass, you could be a little sneakier about it too. You know what I mean? Like to a certain degree. To yeah. a degree, correct. Yeah. Not in like a three-piece jam, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, just having those experiences as a musician here, and even the, when I did, like those nights where you know you did bad. Um, and not having like the, the older players, like they were never mean to me or anything like that. Like they were just like, try this, try working on this. Very helpful right away. That's cool. Yeah. As I would appreciate I that. Yeah. yeah. I did. You know, like I, I never had, like my pride has never swelled in those situations. Right. Nor is mine. I, I had that beaten out of me before I even got to Nashville, before I was even out of high school. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not the best musician, but I'll try harder than anybody else. <laughs> well, it's funny you know what I mean? You say that because I find normally that like songwriters, they're not necessarily the strongest instrumentalist. That would be me. Yeah. But they have the gift of melody. I feel like I'm very strong in melody and writing and all that stuff. Yeah, I feel like I make up for it in other places. That's the other funny thing about living in Nashville is I, you start to notice these themes and patterns in musicians. And I was able to put, even before I, before I moved to like Nashville, like those times of growing up, I was able to put them in context. Right. Of different players. And it's like, oh, okay. So this person was actually like, they were going for, for this kind of a thing, you know, like a Clapton meets whatever, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so you're able to start using those experiences, um, even with personality types too. For sure. Because the, the, like, I don't know about for you, but like, it, it took me a lot of practice to be able to, to say things, um, in a tactful way. I didn't ever really know how to do that. That was always one of my struggles where I was able to say what I mean, but I was, I did it with like a a 10 ton hammer and a more malleable way you had to learn. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I Um, think I was always lucky that I, I, I kind of enjoyed leading from an early age. So, and when you take a leadership role, you kind of have to learn that. Yeah. Like when I was, I was always like, you know, I hate, I'm not a humble brag kind of thing, but I was like, the captain of the basketball team and all that stuff. So yeah. you've got to kind of learn to talk to people and get the best out of them, but not everybody's going to do it the same way. Yes. So I kind of had to learn that. I got that from sports kind of really. Yeah. So it helped me do that. Yeah. I think, I think sports is a great way to do that. You know, I think, um, as far as like leadership skills go, I do think most people can be a leader. They just have to figure out how to do it. A hundred percent. 
because like there is a little bit of an element of like natural leader, but I feel like that's just if you're good as a public speaker. I feel like that's what that means. Correct. I I couldn't agree more. There's there's always going to be an innate. You know, you're going to get the what's his name, the Tony. Big, you know, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Yeah, thank you. You're going to get the Tony Robbins, who's clearly like a natural at just that stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? But if you're, if you, I mean, it's just like with anything else. The more experience you get with being in that situation, the better you're just going to get at it. So I'm sure that's how you kind of learned it. You know, the more you played with people and you you had input on what they were going to do, you're like, okay, he didn't look like he looked that great when I said this this time. Maybe I'll say it this way. Yeah, and then I probably had a better reaction. He learned that way. You know what I mean? That everybody's trial and error with that stuff. Yeah, for sure. For for me, I was really lucky because I, I, right up front with music, I got lucky because I moved in next door to a record producer when I was fifteen. Oh, nice! And my first job was at a recording studio. Oh, that's cool. Um, in a, in a live venue, but. And then, like, later on in high school, I had a really great mentor who taught me how to be, like, a player. You know what I mean? Yeah, Where they're, for like, sure. Teach you the fin- finesse of being a working musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my early 20s, I had sales jobs. And in particular, there's this one that changed the game for me because I've talked about it a ton on the podcast. So I, I won't waste a ton of time and bore people. But <laughs> my boss was a retired Navy admiral. Yeah. And just as far as leadership goes, he was the greatest leader I ever met. But like he would do things like if he messed up in front of me, even if I was around and it didn't involve me, he would sit me down and like explain like, hey, I want to talk to you about this mess up that I had huh, because this was a mistake. And he would explain what I I was 22. I had no idea. Right. But like looking back on it now, I really see that he was trying to be able, like take ownership right. of the situation and be like, hey, I messed this up. Um, and he definitely would light my ass up whenever I messed up. I always deserved it, though. Always. <laughs> but I think it's so important to have those mentors and music and in life in general that can kind of teach you and get you back between the lines a little bit. For sure. For sure. I think everybody, it's like you said, if, if you don't have some sort of guide and you're just, I mean, if you have to kind of learn that on your own, you're going to get it from somebody. Like somebody's going to not be tactful about it. Yeah. And have, if you've never been in that kind of situation before, you're going to get your pride hurt really bad. Oh, yeah. But if you've got guys like that, you've taken that a little bit. So then when you got feedback, like when you're playing and stuff like that, you kind of understood that a little bit better, probably. 100%. You know what I mean? So I, I had coaches like that that helped me a lot with that too. So I totally understand that. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think just like mentorship and leadership in general, you know, it's, it's never sexy to talk about that stuff with music. I think it's kind of it like a, a taboo topic a little bit, but I think it's super important. I couldn't agree more. I, I wish more of the bigger guys would help the littler guys in that way. Like I, I'm all not that I'm a bigger guy. I'm not even trying to say that at all, but I love to help people. Like somebody come and ask me for a genuine opinion on something like, dude, does this song, is this terrible? I'm never going to say a song's terrible. I'm going to say, this is cool about it. I think you could improve it here. I think you could do, you know what I mean? I'm never going to do that, but I'm going to, uh, people who want to lift you up, but lift you up in a good way. It is so important to find those people. You know what I mean? To help, like you said, mentor. Well, that's really what the role I feel like of 
producer is because like with music, you know, I think a, a producer really marries the business aspects of music yep. in keeping things like project manager. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, but also the creative aspects. And mm-hmm. you look at someone like Rick Rubin, um, who has a very interesting production style. I wouldn't even say sonically he necessarily has a production style. I don't think he does either. But it's spiritually. Yeah, he definitely has a mantra of approach of some sort, which is cool. That's why you got to watch that McCartney uh, three, two, one, or whatever that is. Too. I'll definitely watch it. I've listened to his his podcast, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, like he did this one with like individually with the like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to that? I haven't heard that yet. It's really. I've cool. heard him talk about making that record before, though. Yeah, or records. Yeah, yeah, because um, they, they released a new record. A couple of months ago, and they brought back John Frusciante into the band. Yeah, which is cool. It was really cool. Yeah. But he does like an interview with John Frusciante, probably like an hour long, just him. And then, like, the last 15 minutes, Anthony Kiedis comes in. Oh, nice. And they're talking. And then the next episode is both John and Anthony. And then the next episode is just Flea. And then the next episode is <laughs> cool. just Chad. So it was really cool to kind of hear all of their perspectives. On the Chili Peppers and like, it's a crazy band. Like uh, every one of them. I yeah. mean, the fact that they all have such big personalities and all still fit in the same room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's kind of what they they talked about because there was times where it turned a toxic. You know, like hearing about Anthony and, and Flea's friendship. Like before they even played music together, they said they were best friends. <laughs> right. Um, so it was just interesting to hear that. And then the dynamic of like how they changed out and like they had a couple of members who died of like drug overdoses right. and stuff like that before the band even got huge. Got big. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool to, to hear cause like I've never been admittedly like the biggest chili peppers fan, but if I really look back on like my entire life, there's the chili peppers were always kind of in the background. That's same with me. There's so many concerts where I like full disclosure. I didn't go see. I wasn't there to see the Chili Peppers, but they were playing. You know what I mean? Like I would go and see Rage Against the Machine or somebody like that. And the Peppers are always, you know, I go see Sublime. They're playing with, you know. So they were always a part of that too. And I, I still, they have a ton of stuff that I like. But I've never, I would never call me the, you know, their number one fan. But their story is pretty cool too. Yeah, they're. Uh they're going to be coming here in August with the Strokes. Oh, are they? Awesome. Yeah, they're playing at Nissan Stadium, and I'm super pumped for that because the Strokes, they never go on tour. I was going to say, the Strokes haven't been on forever, have they? No, because what they what they typically do is they release an album, and then they hit all the big festivals. Ah, uh, okay. So that's kind of like what they normally do. Oh, man, that is such a cherry pick because that is like the fun, fun stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, that's, no, I get it. But they're, they're playing. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we're going to go play stadiums. We're just going to play peppers. for hundreds of thousands of people at a time. Cool. Yeah. All right, great. Um, <laughs> have you gotten to see a show at the Ryman yet? I have not. I have not, and I'm dying to. I just not found the time yet. Man, as soon as I do, something else comes up, and I'm like, God, I was just going to go to that show. It's it's I got to see something there. To go, even if it's an artist that you're just kind of a fan of, or maybe you like a couple of songs of. Yeah. Because they bring it, because they're playing at the Ryman. Right. Exactly. Now I I have to run through the list. Have you gotten to see a show at Exit In yet? I've played at accident. Okay. Before. Okay. Yes. So, so I have done that. Yeah. 
which is another legendary spot in Nashville. For sure. I played there about 10 years ago. Oh, wow. It's been okay. a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really fun club, and it's, it's funny um, with Exit In because everybody – you go and you look at all the names on there. It's like Blondie, the Ramones, Crazy, Billy Joel. Right? Yeah, it wouldn't be artists that you would associate with Nashville. No, yeah, absolutely. But it's that's what's cool about it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I love about that place. It's got its own vibe. Yeah, I'm I, sure the Ryman does too. Oh, dude, of course. Yeah. My, my first show in Nashville was at the Ryman. Um, it was right before I moved here. I saw Tame Impala play there nice that would be a great band to see there yeah on the current tour and i've seen dan auerbach play in like various like his solo band i saw them play there and he was playing with all of the old school like memphis and nashville cats from the 60s and 70s that's rad yeah it was really cool and i saw him play with the arcs which that's his band where it's like Nick Mofshone and Homer Steinwise from the oh, Amy Winehouse okay. band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they played with Bruno Marsu. They right. were on Locked Out of Heaven. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. But yeah, no, it's Nashville. That's what's amazing about it. Like there's all this incredible music constantly happening. And I think, and maybe you can talk about this because you, you've been doing music for so long now. I've gone through phases where it just feels like I'm working. You know what I mean? It's, it's like being in a relationship. And then all of a sudden you like, oh, I'm in love with this person. Like you mean that about music? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I associate that with like songs. Yeah. Like there are songs where they come in like five minutes and I'm like, oh man, it feels like it's been there forever. It feels, it feels like. Meeting, it, I mean, it's a great way to put it. It feels like you're meeting somebody you just fell in love with at first sight. Yeah. In a way. Like, um, I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. That's, hap- that's only happened to me maybe once. And it, it wasn't really love, but I thought it was. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it was that feeling. Yes. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And that's the feeling I would equate to, like, writing a new song that I really like. Like, you, I, you get this little giddiness about you that you can't really explain. It's like excitement, but it can go anywhere. So now what am I going to do with it? And, man, now I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to, you know, ruin my new relationship with this song. <laughs> you know what <laughs> you know? that reminds me of? The Tommy Boy. No, That's what I was not, thinking of. What is it from Tommy Boy? <laughs> it's that chicken wing. And I just squeeze my little bit and I just love it. Oh, to death and I, yeah. <laughs> and then I go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it reminded me of uh, Harold and Kumar. You know when he finds oh, that, yeah. that bag of weed and he like, falls in love with it and he imagines living this whole life yeah. and then they're like beating each other. And <laughs> that's what it reminds me that's, of. Yeah, that's a good um, point too. But yeah, no, like with with music, I, I found that there's really been times where I've just been, you're going through the motions and you're just grinding day to day and getting things done. And there are other times where that lightning bolt just strikes again. You're like, wow. I actually really love this. I remember why I chose this as my career now. Uh, you know what? It, it actually just happened to me like a week ago. Really? I'd, I'd have to look in my phone to find the song. But it, I'll find it in a song sometimes, not even a song that I'm writing, like a really well-written song. Mm-hmm. And you hear it, I'm like, oh, man. And, and it gives you that goosebump factor. Like, um, you know, when Adele comes out with one of her big hello or something like that and whether you like it or not it's a great song yeah but in the first time you hear it you can feel that 
through, you can feel her performance through that. When you can feel a performer and it's a great, great song, that always reminds me. I'm like, God, this is why I really love this because I really want to be able to like have somebody else feel that about something I've written. So, you, you know, cause it's such a great feeling. It's like, it remi- I mean, it's like being reminded that you're human or something like yeah. that. I don't know how to explain that exactly, but it's like, this is what it's supposed to be like. And, and you only get to capture it for this little moment in time. And then you want to hear it again, but it's not the same sometimes. So that's, what's great about music. I find that there are songs that are instant, you know, uh, like when I'm writing and there are other times where I'm really having to grind it out. Absolutely. And it, it, I'm like coming back to the song over the course of months or years or I'm like, let me see if I can finally make this idea work again. Because yep. there's something there. There's a spark and you're trying to get it to catch. Yeah. Is that something that you've encountered? All the time. All the time. I mean, I'm a, I'm a songwriter, so... You get that, you're going to get the fatigue from, like, there's so many good ideas in my phone that I'm like, I know this is a good idea. I'm not deleting this. I swear I'm coming back to this. And a year later, I still haven't come back to that, but I know it's good and I'm going to make it good at some point. So I finally got to a point with that stuff where I have to, like, um, carve out a time where I go through my voice memos and I put work on this at the end of each one. So now I can finally filter out the ones that make, that have that spark. Yes. That you're talking about. And they have to come back. But it all really comes down to your discipline. Like if you can sit down and make make yourself whether you feel like it or not. That is the biggest thing I've learned about being like a full-time composer and songwriter. Like you got to be in it whether you want to or not. You you think you got to be motivated? You don't. You have to find that. You have to find the place in you where find the spark and whatever you're doing. Like there's stuff that I'm doing – you know, sometimes for the library, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'd, I'd love to be writing up a song like this or something like that. But you find whatever little nuance you can in the music that you're creating and you build on that. And that's a huge thing. But, yeah, sometimes you absolutely get stuck like you're talking about. But I think it's if you have the a good enough discipline to know how good it is and you know you can come back to it and you will and then you'll finally make it right. Yeah, I'll also say there's the alternative too, where I go back to something where I'm like, this was not a good idea at all. (laughs) All the time. (laughs) It just happens. Uh, Yeah, like whenever I'm trying to get, because it's like when you wear a lot of hats, um, I have to get back into a certain mode again to like Mm -hmm. warm myself up. Oh, yeah. And when I've written a bunch of stuff, because I'll write sometimes like, a 30 second song clip where I'll do everything. And there's like an idea there. Right. And I'll have like 30 of those on my phone, but I'll have to go back through and delete stuff out where I'm like, I'm just going to have to let this go. <laughs> Cause the idea, even if I try and work on it again, I can't get it to catch. It's not there. Yeah. I know. That's totally happened to me a, a million times. That's, that's why I, I, the other rule that I have for myself is, if I'm really excited about something and I even put my little work on this note on it, if I, if I can't come back to that in a week and still be excited about it, then it wasn't that great probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it goes in the trash can. David Lynch, um, the director, are you a David Lynch fan at all? Do you know? I like David Lynch. Um, he talks about when you get ideas, you have to pursue it pretty much right in that moment because the idea the original inspiration will be gone. And there's been 
a million times where I've had a melody or a lyric idea and I didn't write it down mm-hmm. and it was just gone. Oh man. Like a fish in the ocean. I know. My wife hates me because I interrupt her all the time. I'm like, wait, I got an idea. Sorry. I know you were talking, but I got to get this down. You yeah. just have to because it's just gone that quick. It is. And I wonder where that comes from. That, that again, that's like the goosebump factor in music where there's something out in the ether and like I, one book I've read a ton of times is um, War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Have you ever read that before? I haven't, but I'll check that out. I'm big into audiobooks lately, you so I'd love that. would love it. Check it out. Okay. Um, but he talks about the muse, and it's kind of similar to some of the stuff that you're saying, where he's like, basically, you have to sit down and write in order for the muse to come to you. Right. I totally agree with that, because I can't tell you how many times where i in trying to get better at what I do, I'm like, I don't feel like writing right now, but I know I need to. I know it's been a day or two since I picked up my guitar. I need to, it, you know, get on the bicycle, do some, do some laps, that kind of thing. It's, it's absolutely a muscle that you have to, like, call upon. And then you'd be really shocked at how many times you come up with something cool just because you made yourself, you sat yourself down and did it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. Really, truly, I think 80% of it's showing up. Like, show up to, to practice, show up to write the song, show up to produce the music, show up to write the melody. Like, put yourself in a situation and you'd be surprised at how well you end up doing. I find I have to trick myself sometimes. Whatever you got to do to do it, you do. Yeah. Like, I'll be like, I'm just going to sit down with a guitar for one minute and I'll set like a one minute timer. Yep. And eventually, you know, as the week goes on, it's like one minute one day. One minute the next day, maybe five minutes the day after that, and before I know it, two hours have passed, and I right. have a song. Awesome. That's dude. I have hundred percent have to trick myself into that. When you got super busy weeks and you just don't feel like doing that, yeah, that one minute could be the one little spark that puts you, you know, your favorite new song. Yeah, and it's like, man, I, I don't, I don't ever want to miss that. But that's just because I think we love music so much yeah. too. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say, like, first and foremost, of course, being in Nashville, you meet all kinds of tourists, and they're, they're like, want to know, oh, what, what is it like to live in Nashville? What is it like to live in Nashville? And they're always like, I don't have any musical talent. They'll say that about themselves to me, and I'm like, look, like, I was just so obsessed with music that I had to start playing it. The same. Yeah. There was Absolutely. no other option. Like, I had exhausted every other resource of trying stuff. I wasn't, I never probably allowed myself to be good at stuff, but. I've learned like the context of the world, you know what I mean? How to function in adult adult society through music. <laughs> yes, I've chosen the fully one, understand that. one career where you're like perpetually sixteen in some ways. It feels like that for sure. I said that to my wife just the other day. I was like, I cannot believe I am in my thirties because it feels like yesterday I picked up a guitar. And I just started this adventure, and I was on tour and doing all this stuff. It truly feels like yesterday, and I still have that same vigor for music that I did then. If not even more now, cause I'm at least smarter in what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now I know what I'm doing at least a little bit. Well, that's the funny thing I think about age too. And, and maybe you can shed a little bit, a bit of light on this. I'm 30. So we're, we're close to probably same age. Ish, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you start to see people drop off at certain age markers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it happens right up front 
early on people figure out it's, it's not right for them and then around mid 20s it starts to happen again early 30s it starts to happen again i'd say it's a bigger drop off once the 30s hit yeah yeah and that's what i've noticed because like there's there's very few people that i like grew up playing music with that still even play music now as a hobby mm-hmm. and it's interesting to watch it's interesting to me too because i still get those people who always reach out to me do they still reach out to you a lot like hey you know, remember that time when we were playing, you know, back at 18, you know, we were 18 and stuff like that. I, I know so many, like, musicians who are a hundred times more talented than me. Of course. That are sitting on a couch not doing a thing. Yeah. And it's just because either they don't know or don't care enough to. I can 100% relate. I can think it of... It blows my mind sometimes. Yeah, a thousand people from my, my musical journey that have been way more talented than me and even in Nashville. And what's funny, and, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit too, you see musicians, songwriters, whatever it is, where they're so freaking good, but they're lacking in other like life skills almost. A hundred percent. Especially now because you have to do so much. Yes. If you can't be your own label at this point and you're not willing to take not acknowledge that that's the work for it you don't have a shot yeah you don't have a shot it just is what it is well the the, the, you have to really like you see all these books that i have here that i just bought the other day um they're all coloring books if you can see them yeah they're they're coloring (laughs) books exactly um but yeah like it you really have to have someone of a business savvy if you want to do this or you have to become business savvy if you want to do this. Or your best friend has to be. Yes. Something like that. Something. Some sort of help in some sort of way with it. Yeah. Well, it's amazing too to look back like on music history. When you look at someone like Freddie Mercury, for instance, he was someone who was massively talented, like otherworldly gifted, born with a talent. Oh yeah. But he also worked hard. Oh, for sure. And I, I've found too, like people who have that natural gift, natural talent, they they rely on, they rest on their laurels a little bit because they're good, and they can. They've just been show told up. that for so long. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. They know they can just show up, still kill it, not realizing if they actually put the extra work into it, they could take themselves into the stratosphere and be unstoppable. Right, exactly. Man, I've. That's what actually made me quit bands because I got so tired of pulling super talented guys along. I was like, I've clearly pulled this as far as I can. I have to go do this on my own now. And that's that's what led me to L.A. That's what led me to my first record deal. That's what led me to all that stuff was I stopped pulling people along who were immensely more talented than me, but I was willing to work 100 times harder than them. For sure. I've always found that I've been kind of like the the underboss in in bands, you know, like the second in command. Oh, yeah. I was rallying the troops. It's like someone else is calling the shots, but I was putting everything in motion. Yeah, that's right. You're writing out the manuals. Yeah, exactly. Which I was happy to do, and I'm very, very grateful that I have those skills. Yep. But there was somewhere along the way where I had to decide, like, do I want to be in the back of a van with four other dudes for the rest of my life? 
playing someone else's music. Right. Which, hey, you know, if someone wants to do that, there's... That's not a bad life. That's not a bad life. Right. It can be a hard life at times. For sure. But I just figured out I like my own bed. I like producing. <laughs> I like the podcast. And I like making my own music. Yep. And that's the kind of the decision earlier this year that I that I had to make. Like I, I love playing with the Weird Sisters, and I love playing with Violet Moons, and they're they're very good friends of mine. But I just knew that long term, like there are two bands that at any point, like Jack White or someone like that, could come ringing and have them on tour with them. And I had to take an honest look at myself, and I'm like, would I want to go do that if I do got I that do that yeah. opportunity? And I was like, no, I wouldn't want to do that. And I'm like, I need to leave this project then because it's not fair to them. I'd agree. That's that's big of you. That not, I don't think a lot of people would have that realization, to tell you the truth. I think it'd be like, well, if it happens, I'll you know wing it and see what happens. Again, see how it feels. I love my own bed more than I love anything. <laughs> so I think that's really where the decision came from as far as a motivating factor. But it's it's like as, as a bass player too, like the more experience that I got – the more that I realized what the role of a sideman was. Right, right, right. Where you, you're not the star of the show. And I was always cool with that. Same. Yep. It's like playing defense on a football team. Never needed to be the guy. No. Happy to happy to be the 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 one not known. Yeah. You know? For sure. Just just the dude in the background playing bass. I'm happy to just be the guy writing the songs. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I'm happy with that. And it's it's like for for each project like now, it would be a hard sell for me to be in a, a band band like I was when I was 22. You yeah, know? same. Uh, where it's like, we're going to do it, and this we're all in this together, like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or whatever. I'd yeah. be like, ah, I don't know about well, that. Well, yeah, about um, that. It would really have to be the right, right situation, like creatively first and foremost. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like looking back at the experiences that I, I've had with with the, the different bands I've played with, and I'm, I'm happy. Like, like with the, the the Weird Sisters, I just straight up I was able to show up and be a bass player, and that's it. Like, that's kind of nice, though. Yes, you know what I mean. But they had coming very, from where you came from. Yes, you know? exactly. Um, they had very high expectations, though. Ah, okay. Where like I needed to fill that role, but that's why they called me because. They knew I could fill they it. They knew that's what you could do, yeah. Yeah. But knowing that, going into that situation, having been friends with them for like five years, I also understood like the dynamic of the way they worked. I felt like I understood. You kind of knew you could fit in there. Yes. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Because uh, I, I think the other thing, like being a, being a bass player and, and starting out on that, you really, that's like the producer's instrument, I think, in a lot of ways. I would agree with that. It's like that and piano because uh-huh. they're both the unifying factors and depending on style of music. But, um, so I was able just to draw from these experiences and realize, okay, this is what I do for this band. It was like with Violet Moons, I had a little bit of a different role with them as well. A little more active and like playing in the band and everything like that. Right. But, um, you just got to let artists be artists. I think first and foremost, like if you, if you are a side man, you can lead them down a path to potentially try something new, but you have to do it within. There's a box you got to stay in. Yes. Totally. And get there's that. no shame in that. If the artist I, yeah, is good. I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way at all. You got to know where to get in. Yeah. You got to know where something's 
slowed down in this spot and you know how to maybe fill it. Yes. You know what I mean? And you can see that, but you got to know when to take that back seat for probably most of the time. If it's a, you know, a really big personality people for sure. And it's like, so for the weird sisters, for instance, like, uh, it's my friends, Gabby and Isaac, it's their band. And, uh, it's driven a lot by rock guitar, like badass solos and great synth bass and keyboard riffs. Rad. So being a bass player, it's like I'm doubling the lines and I'm trying not to step on Gabby's toes. Right, right, right. I get that. But I got to really shred in that band because, like, the Weird Sisters are kind of like Funkadelic meets Jack White meets Frank Zappa. That's fun. Meets a little bit of Neil Young in there, too. Ooh, all right. Um, but Violent Moons, for instance, that's like vocal pop music. It's like witchy, Lana Del Rey. Okay. Um, kind of that style, but... I don't know. I, I'm just getting excited about music, talking about all this rambling on and on and on <laughs> about my experience. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel I feel so lucky to play music. Now, talking to you tonight has made I do me too, man. Feel I do too. Like yeah, I am. I love it. The utmost appreciative that every day I literally walk 20 feet from my bedroom and I go and make music. I do that every single day. That is an incredible feeling and it's a weird thing for me because man I, I jumped off a cliff when I went to LA to be quite honest but I had been working for a company for like seven years and I was already I had I was working with some people musicians and stuff out in LA so that's what actually brought me out there so but um if you really decide it's what you want to do you do it you really you make it work and I ever since the day I left for LA I like I'm so thankful that I get to do what I do. 100%. Yeah, there's just no other option. I feel like. And that's what it is for me now, yeah. too. Like, now that I've had a taste of it, now I know I can do it, I can never go back. Yeah. Can never go back to that. You hear all the stories about, like, the guys who, I don't know, uh, the lead singers who, you know, worked at a gas station or, you know, Eddie Vedder was working at a gas station. They, you know, walked in and he had a demo tape to hand them and that kind of stuff. You know, you hear about all those stories. We've all got them. Even the guys who never get famous, who are just, you get to be a musician your whole life. There was that for us too. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So that's what's, that's what's cool. I'm very appreciative. We get to do what we do. That seems like the perfect spot to end it. Where can people find you at? All your streaming devices. I'm, I'm on Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff. Um, if you want to check out some more like my compositions, like scores and stuff like that, mattwheatleymusic.com. You can see kind of the latest works and stuff like that. So Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Here is Greenback Kings. Thanks for having me, man. Money 
Cuban smoke rings, diamonds dripping, cast their love to burn. 